Well, good morning, everyone. And it seems that Ben Charles was somewhat prophetic last week when he asked about me becoming a minister, because unbeknownst to him, Keith had already asked me to speak to you all this morning. And to answer one of Ben Charles's other questions more fully, this is likely how my ministership would look. Uh, I hope it's acceptable. So Keith asked me to continue the series on the fruit of the spirit and speak to you about gentleness. And he's left me three instructions. So number one was to make sure you sit from a bookcase because it makes you look more intelligent. Two, be sure to change location during your talk. It ensures people are paying attention. And number three was to make sure you start with a joke. And he said, uh, please refer to the attached approved church jokes. So, there was once this woman who went on holiday and she had asked her brother to look after the cat. And so a few days into the holiday, she phones her brother to ask how the cat's getting on. And he says, oh, unfortunately, uh, the cat's, cat's dead. Sorry. And she was absolutely heartbroken. She says, you know, you could have broken it to me more gently. And he says, well, I don't know what to tell you. The cat's gone. The cat's dead. And she says, yeah, but, you know, when I phoned, you could have said to me, you know, the cat was maybe stuck on the roof and couldn't get down. And, you know, and I would have phoned the next day. And you could have said, oh, you know, unfortunately now the, the cat fell. And but it's okay, it's at the vet. I'll, I'll, I'll update you tomorrow. And then I would have phoned back. And then you could have broken the news to me that, you know, the cat didn't make it. And I'd still have been upset, but I would have been prepared for the worst. And he said, well, that's, that's interesting. Actually. I'll think about that for the next time I've got some news for you. So the woman tries to enjoy the, the rest of her holiday as best she can. And then when she gets home, she phones her brother to and say, oh, thanks for trying to look after the cat. I know it didn't work out, um, but thanks anyway. And he says, well, actually, I've, I've got something else to update you on. Uh, something else happened when you were away. She went, all right, what, what is it? She says, well, Grandma got stuck on the roof and she couldn't get down. Uh, if you phone me back tomorrow, I've got another update for you. It's a good joke, isn't it? So, <clears throat> what is gentleness? Is, is it just a little lie that we tell people to, to shield them from the harsh realities of life? Sometimes we think of gentleness as being a weakness or a softness or, or the lack of something. It's a lack of strength, a lack of authority. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at our passage and try and identify what Bible means by gentleness and how does that impact or how should it impact our day-to-day -day lives and how can we use that for our, for our purpose, for our God's purpose, uh, that of our great commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations. So this morning's reading is 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 12 and it's entitled Paul's Ministry in Thessalonica. So I'll just read it for you now. You know brothers and sisters that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God we dare to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. 
You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So, as you'll likely know, Paul had been travelling around the eastern Mediterranean and the Aegean Sea for quite some time, and planting churches and giving people faith. And where we find him here is he's writing back to Thessalonica in Greece, um, where he had previously planted the church. And in the first couple of verses here, he's reminding them that his visit hadn't been in vain, because what we know from Acts 17 is that he actually had to leave Thessalonica very quickly because, as was common with Paul, despite the success he was having in building these churches, he was also upsetting a lot of people, a lot of powerful people, the traditional Jewish communities, and they would chase him out, they would beat him, and sometimes he'd even stone him. He nearly died at one point, and so he had to be a hasty retreat. <clears throat> but he's reminding the, Thessalonica, the Thessalonians here that it was still worth his while coming and planting that church. And then we get to verses 6 and 7, which are the, the, the key verses for this morning, where he says to them that they didn't come looking for anything, anything for themselves. And despite their great authority, they didn't impose themselves. Instead, they came like children. So in other words, they came without threat and with, with a gentleness to preach this word and to serve. Now, you might think, what kind of authority did they really have? Because Paul's already alluded to the fact that they're on the run from a number of major cities, including Thessalonica. So why would they feel authoritative? What power did they really have? <clears throat> but what you also got to remember is that a lot of the apostles, they met Jesus in the flesh. They knew him, they'd lived with him. And those who hadn't were now living and working and travelling with the people who had. Uh, and people like Paul, who actually after the resurrection, had had an encounter with Jesus, the whole Damascus Road um, experience, uh, they felt absolutely sure that they had been anointed by God to, to preach his message. In fact, if you remember in, in John 14, in verses 12 and 14, say this, Truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do everything you ask in my name, so that the Father will be glorified by the Son. You mean, ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. And that's Jesus speaking directly to the disciples. So they are absolutely convinced that they have been um, anointed and commissioned by Jesus on behalf of God, to deliver this gospel. So in a spiritual sense, in a kind of uh, universal sense, they feel that they have the absolute authority of God to give this message. But they don't use that authority. What they do instead is come gently up alongside the people and they live with them and they serve them and they gently build the church up. So there's no, there's no pretense for these guys. There's no, there's no Blues Brothers uh, statements that we're on a mission for God, so you know, get out of our way. They're humble, they're gentle. <clears throat> so this gives a picture that gentleness, rather than being a lack of something, actually maybe there's a choice, there's a decision to be made here. We get a similar picture uh, from the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, uh, verse 5. 
uh, we read this, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we tend to think of the word meek a bit like we do gentle. In fact, it's probably all the negative connotations of gentle without the positive ones. It's, it's the lack of power, it's, it's, it's the weakness, it's the, the incompetence, the, the, the defeated. Um, but in the Greek, it's the word they use is preus. Um, and preus has a slightly different translation and it's, it's the balance of anger with indifference, if that makes sense to you. It's, it's the properly controlled power. Um, if you imagine it like a, a wild horse being broken in, the horse still retains all the power and strength it had, but now as a harness it's now focused on doing more useful things than just running wild. Um, but how would those people inherit the earth? How would harnessing your power and your energy give you the earth? So another way to think about it is if, if you know a pride of lions, because pride's a sin after all. If you think of how the pride works, the, the biggest, strongest lion, the, the lion king if you like, they rule and they rule by their strength and their power and the intimidation of the younger lions. That's how they keep control of what they've got. Now that works fine for them until as they get older over time they get a little bit slower and a little bit weaker and then when a young lion challenges the young lion overpowers the king, takes the crown for himself. But at that point what happens is the old lions then banished from the pride and they're left to roam the savannah. They're now scavenging for food. You know, the, the old days of the, the pride hunting for and providing the food are gone. They're now scavenging for the leftovers from other predators. They can no longer uh, out overpower even a pack of hyenas. They now have to worry about what's going to attack them and this is them in their old age. This is them as they get frailer and weaker. And so what the Bible's saying here is that <clears throat> though you may be a lion, if you harness that power, so that prayers, that you harness that, that, that raw strength, but instead of using it for your own good and your own benefit, that you use it for, for God's purposes. So you use it to promote peace and love and you look, you serve, you use your strength to serve others. So you've harnessed that strength. Then even though the society that you live in might not recognise that as a good thing, you might not be rewarded now, but God recognises that service. He recognises the things that you do in the choir. And that's the thing that will be rewarded and you will inherit the earth from God. So you'll hit everything he has for you because you've done the right thing, you've done his purpose, you've used your strength for his purpose. Now you may not feel much of a lion, in fact you might not feel like you're a leader at all. Uh, and that's fine because often people who consider themselves to be great leaders tend not to be that good at it. But if you examine your life, there will be spaces, there will be gaps in it where you are the most influential person there. You, you have some authority, some power over others. It might be the young apprentice at work or it might be a vulnerable person within the society. It's, it's just an elderly person, it's a frail person. It might be your own children. But if you look, there will be issue, uh, opportunities where you are the stronger, more influential person. And what the Bible is asking you to do here is to not abuse that power, to come alongside the people in gentleness and humbleness and to serve, to do God's work 
and even though the society doesn't that you live in doesn't recognise it, God will, and that's when you'll be rewarded. But I think as much as the, the passages tell us that there's a nobleness in harnessing your strength and choosing gentleness, that it's not a, it's not a lack of something, it's a positively for something else. It's not just about how we carry ourselves and how we get rewarded by God. I, th I think there's also something about how, how gentleness can be a tool for us to achieve our purpose. And of course our, our great purpose is the Great Commission is to go forth and make disciples of all nations. So what's, what's the model of gentleness that we can use to help us achieve that? Now in St John's King's Park I think we already have a solid model of gentleness. And it's shared by a number of churches. Anybody who's ever been on an Alpha course will, will recognise this. If you think of Alpha, it takes 12 weeks to complete. Now, 12 weeks isn't a lifetime by, by any stretch, but as introductory courses go, it's, it's, it's fairly comprehensive. It's a fairly chunky piece of time. And on the night, you'll notice it's fairly laid back. It's, we have dinner together, we have conversation, we, we listen to people, we get to know people. We take our time. It's gentle. We don't bash, there's no bashing people over the head in Bibles. The videos that we watch on Alpha introduce the topics. So it means that as leaders, you, you don't need to preach to people. You're basically drinking coffee and saying, what do you think? And the conversation takes off and it, it matures over the weeks. And so, and this is where we see that the gentle approach um, also requires patience and kindness and goodness all the other fruit or as Raymond described a few weeks ago there's one fruit with many flavours and that's sometimes why it's difficult to identify exactly what gentleness is because it does require patience and kindness and goodness all together uh, and this is what we recognise on Alpha now imagine the whole world are your Alpha guests are you talking to them? are you listening to them? Are you getting to know them? Are you serving them? Are you doing it in a gentle way? Is it maturing? Is your relationships with people maturing over time? Are you serving them the supermarket own brand custard creams and the instant coffee? Or are you opening up the Marks and Spencer's chocolate biscuits and the uh, Colombian ground beans? How, how are you serving them? Are you being gentle with them? Or are you attacking them? and trying to beat them down to believe something that they're not ready to believe. It's not always the case that gentleness is the order of the day. If anybody's part of the meme generation, you'll know if you're the meme generation because you'll know what a meme is. If you're not, it's something you'll find on social media. It's usually a picture with some pithy uh, um, saying or a piece of wisdom written on it. And there's an image of Jesus, and you'll know the story, when he goes into the temple and uh, there's all the money lending and all the all the trading and it incenses Jesus and he flips over all the tables and he takes off his belt and he whips people and he chases them in the temple and this little meme is the picture of Jesus and it says if you're ever wondering what would Jesus do be prepared that the answer might be to flip over the table and chase somebody with a whip and so we, we do have a picture of uh, righteous anger and that's sometimes appropriate it's pretty rare with Jesus actually usually when we meet him <clears throat> he, 
he is patient, he is gentle, he is uh, very wise and he is loving to people. Um, but occasionally he does uh, seem to lose his temper. And I think sometimes as a church or as members of that church, the body of the, the church, we can be seen as the people who are protesting all the time where the people are flipping tables over because we're against things we've got a plaque event, we don't want this, we don't want that and that's tiresome for people, it's tiresome for society that we're the people who are against everything now we have another um, picture of how to deal with that situation from Paul again if you remember in Acts 19 <coughs> when Paul's in the temple of Artemis um, now Artemis was a statue, a Greek uh, goddess that people would come to worship. Now this would not be something that Paul would be in agreement with. And even more so, there was people, um, Demetrius had made lots of statues for the market sellers to sell. So you could take home your own little idol to go home and worship at home. Um, and more than that, there were other businesses, all kinds of depravity were taking place. Again, there was money lending and there was all the things that you would associate with um, a, a harbour town. You know, people coming in and out of the town, uh, think Pirates of the Caribbean, all the things that um, people were up to. And this is all the things Paul would have hated. He would have been against everything that was going on at that temple. But he has the option, does he get a placard out and stand outside the temple and say, stop going in here, you're, you're all going to hell. He decides not to. There's a school over the road and he decides that in the afternoons when the school lessons aren't taking up place, he's just going to set up and he's going to preach the gospel. Quietly and gently, away from the crowds, all the tourists are going that way and he's going to set up over here preaching the gospel. And what they found was so many people came to listen to him that the market traders from the temple who were selling the icons that Paul really hated, they were coming to the town leaders to say, you've got to shut Paul down. He's, he's going to put us out of business. And when the, when the city leaders came, they said, well, what, we don't understand what he's actually doing wrong. And nobody liked Jesus. Nobody could actually think of what rule he had broken. He was just gently going about his business preaching the gospel and that was turning people away by their own choice and I think maybe that's a tool that we can use as a church now there's time for righteous anger but it's not that often and it's more impactful if at all other times we get in the habit of practicing gentleness so, so maybe as Christians we have to discern better when it's appropriate to protest to use our righteous anger and when it's more appropriate to practice gentleness and like it says in verses 8 and 9 it's not just about doing the God stuff it's about sharing our lives with people that's how we get to know people that's that's the gentle way that we can go with them and encourage them the encouragers and comforters as it says in verse 12 so in closing, it seems to me at least that gentleness is, is far from being a weakness. It's far from being a lack of something, the lack of power and authority. It's much more about harnessing whatever power and authority you do have and using that for God's purposes. Even if you're not rewarded in this life, in this society, 
God will recognise it and reward you. But more than that, gentleness is a tool for how we fulfil our purpose, that purpose to go forth and make disciples of all nations. How do we come alongside people and over time encouraging them and comforting them, just like verse 12 says in our passage this morning. Because at the end of the day, when was the last time you've seen anybody argued into faith? More likely, you'll have seen them grow into faith over time. And that's how we can gently support and fulfil our purpose.